right, welcome back to the Border Wars podcast. Episode two. Episode two. Hello, gentlemen. With Tom, Smitty, and Sawyer in the house. Louie, I know you're listening. Who's listening? (laughs) I said Louie. Shout out Lou Dizzle. Shout out out Lou Dizzle. Um, Boys, what a a week it's been. Uh, Pretty much the same... Same old shit, different week. Uh, quarantine still fully in effect. How are you? Speak uh, for but yeah, but hey, bright shining light in the midst of this darkness. Smitty is back in KC. How's it feel? How's it feel to be back, Smitty? That feels great. Um, you know, it was it was a easy drive. It, it felt really apocalyptic when you're when you're driving down a highway and there's nobody on the road. Um, and you've got nothing to look at but but trees and, and wheat and corn. It's all it's all I had to look at for about six hours. But uh, I'm excited to be back home. Um, you know, I love KC, so it was time for me to head back. I figured, you know, if I'm gonna sit on my ass and not do anything, I might as well uh, be home in KC and you're, do it. So. The Holy Land. I'm surprised they let you in city limits after what all conspired when you left transpired. Yeah, I was, I was, that's, that's a good point. Cause I, I was worried, like, am I going to be able to even get in the city and get blocked <laughs> off or like, anything crazy? Yeah. Guys. You know, we got the <laughs> right. National, yeah. National guard, state police. No, no, no. Sorry, you can't. Mike, no Mike Smithy. It's French. Don't yeah. try and dress it up. Bert. You're the sixth Mike Smith we've seen today. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. It was, it's, it's gotta be like a scene from I am legend driving down the, the road and, cars everywhere or no cars anywhere just you in the open road how, what, how fast did you get up to on the way back um i i topped out at about 90 at one time like i, I was lead foot I, I wasn't paying attention uh it's it's weird is my car is a 2015 but it doesn't have uh doesn't have control uh, uh what is it uh cruise, cruise control, control. Yeah, so uh, it's weird. I, I didn't notice that when I was buying the car and uh, until after I purchased it. And I was like, shit, dude, this thing has no cruise control. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's different not being able to take your foot off the gas. And I'm just, you know, flooring it while I'm just staring at cloudy skies. So, But I got up to 90. I, I saw maybe maybe like four cops my entire time. Yeah. It's about six and a half hour. Yeah, there's a couple people pulled over, but it sounds like, you know, cops nowadays, they, wow. they're not going to really care if you're going a little bit over, you know, I think you kind of have to do something major to to be doing, to get pulled over. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you back. City already just feels feels that much better now that you're back. Yeah. First thing I did is uh, got some Jack Stack barbecue, chow down on that. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm already doing what I'm supposed to do when you're in KC. Yeah. Sorry, what about you? How your how's your week been? Uh man, it's been uh a lot of work. Sorry, I fucked up my Zoom view somehow so I can only see Mike and hear Tommy. Uh <laughs> it's not <laughs> bad. I fix it, but I mean I think yeah. Tommy's more handsome, to be honest. Uh not no, it's your been, opinion. It's just, just, I won't disagree, uh, I won't disagree you, with that. Uh no, it's been a lot of work and so, you know, Xbox here and there, some reading. It's been interesting. I don't know. It's been it's been whatever. You know, yeah. nothing too exciting to talk about. It feels to a certain extent like it's Groundhog's Day every day. You know, like the same thing just happens over and over. You just kind of mix up the routine. 
try and make it a little different every single day. But for me, it's wake up, log on to my computer, do some work, take the dog for a walk, play a lot of 2K. Uh, hmm. And then, of course, finally, we got some new entertainment that we can could take in uh, yesterday with the uh, release of the first two episodes of The Last Dance. And that was a big thing we, we had discussed wanting to talk about. So let's just let's just get right into it. Uh, I watched the first two episodes last night and was just itching for more immediately after the second episode ended. Um, I thought it was going to be great, and it already exceeded expectations for me. So I don't know. I know both you guys uh, were planning on watching. I know, Smitty, you did. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on, on, the, on the documentary last night? Dude, Dennis Rodman's a baller. <laughs> he's so weird, <laughs> but he's awesome. Yeah. He's a rebound his, machine. His intro, like, it, oh, shoot, shoot, I said that word. Uh, his intro was so simple, and it's, you know, it's in this uh, formal setting of a documentary, and then it's it pans to him, or switches screen to him, and he's like, I'm Dennis Rodman. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, I thought to myself, I like this guy. Yeah. No matter how weird he is dressing up in wedding dresses and whatnot. I can see uh, Kim Jong-un's appeal to Dennis Rodman. You know what I'm saying? If I was a world leader, I'd probably have him come play basketball in my country. Yeah, or just <laughs> yeah. or just hang out with him. Like, he sounds like he's probably a pretty good hang. Um, you know, whether he's partying or – I don't know if you guys ever saw that TMZ video where he helped – like these two people like rob like an auto parts store. <laughs> no way. Yeah, it's wild. Like he he walks in and he's like trying to distract the uh, the people at the front desk while other people in the store like just raid the shelves <laughs> and try and walk out with like all this gear and stuff. It's pretty wild. But I, I wonder think, if he's an assessor at that point. I think you are. I think or you can play that. dumb. You can play dumb and as if you had no idea what was going on. I don't know. Yeah, he, he, his story is super interesting, and you get a lot of it in, uh, they actually did a 30 for 30 on him, it's very interesting, very tragic, but yeah, Dennis Rodman, I'm looking forward to a lot more of him on the show, because he is definitely the most colorful, colorful, ugh, colorful character uh, on that team, um, even without the, the crazy hair, he is, uh, he's definitely somebody that's super interesting, but the main focus I mean, there was a little bit on Scotty Pippen, but the main focus is on Michael, at least in the first episode, kind of his upbringing and and his uh, his rise to stardom. Um, and I think we've yet to see the version of Michael Jordan that he talked about that he, he thinks people are going to hate. Um, but I think that version of him is going to start to develop as the, as the season goes on. Uh, Mike, what were you, what were your initial thoughts on the first first two episodes? Um, I, I loved it. Uh, like, like you said, I, I watched, I watched the first two and I was ready to ready for more. Um, I was born in 90. So when I was, when I was about six to eight, that's when he was, when they were, when the bulls were winning, you know, their last three championships. So, um, you know, I don't remember it quite vividly, but I do, you know, remember watching games with my dad, my, uh, my dad was a, was a co basketball coach over at Sumner Academy for, for 30 years. So I grew up with, with basketball, you know, being in the, been on TV and it was always Michael Jordan. And I mean, there's posters, uh, hanging up in my wall when I was a kid, uh, in, in my dad's, you know, man cave of Michael Jordan. Um, I, I loved it, you know, and truly just from what I see on Twitter is everybody else loved it. And other than people that 
are such you know huge LeBron homers that they don't even want to they don't even want to admit that the the documentary was good. I did see a couple people on Twitter. I don't I don't know who, but they were just like I'm still not that impressed. But you know, I was talking with my dad. When it comes down to it, whether you like it or not, there is no LeBron without Michael Jordan. I mean, Michael Jordan really you know cultivated a, a culture from you know the mid 80s till to now you know yeah. it's still kind of looked at um you know both lebron and kobe admit that they you know they mimic their game after jordan so you know you can have this argument of lebron and, and michael but at the end of the day what it comes down to is there is no lebron without michael yeah and you know and, and yeah, i was just gonna say you know i was expecting this documentary um to be all about Michael, but uh, it, it, it seems to be a lot of focus on that last season, um, you know, them against the higher ups, if you will, you know? Yeah. I mean, what's so the guy's name? What's the GM's name? Jerry. Jerry uh, what? Couldn't have been a more unfortunate looking person. No, what a nerd. Full on troll. But you know, the thing you have to give him credit for is he, he, he manufactured that team, that roster. He made the, the tough decisions whether it was trading Charles Oakley, um, you know, drafting Scottie Pippen, securing them to those long-term contracts that maybe weren't necessarily great for those few, those players long-term. He, he engineered a great team, but again, at the end of the day, it all goes back to Michael because he was the one on the floor driving those guys to be better. And you saw it in those clips of those practices. He pushed those guys really hard. And he didn't just do that in 1997 and 98. That's the crazy thing. If you go back and read the book, there's a book that came out in 19, uh, 1992. It's about the 1990-1991 season, the year the Bulls won their first championship. It's called the Jordan Rules, based on you know the Jordan Rules that the Pistons came up with to, to go against them in those runs in the 80s. And Michael was a dick to his teammates. He was ruthless. He punched um, uh, a teammate in the face at one point, reportedly. Um, he would throw the ball at Bill Cartwright intentionally hard to show the coaching staff that like he has stone hands and he shouldn't be out on the floor. Um, he bullied the younger guys. I mean, he was ruthless in that pursuit of greatness because he, I think he expected everyone to be on that level that he was at. And that's what I think separates him from everybody else is that he was so ruthless and so committed to, to winning and being great that he would accept nothing less from his teammates. And if he saw them as, a, an obstacle or or as a roadblock to his success he got them the fuck out of the way as fast as possible um and that's what i think is admirable uh, or sorry admirable about about michael but also is a reason why a lot of people hate him because he was a dick and i think he's a, he will admit to you like he wanted the best out of everybody and uh he settled for nothing less and i think we're going to get a lot more of that as a, as the as the series goes on yeah, I think I think you hit it right on the head right there. Um, you know, Michael was an ultra competitive person. Um, you know, I don't we all grew up playing sports. Uh, some of the best coaches I had were the coaches that were hardest on on me. Uh, you know, those are the coaches that I wanted to play for um, as a as an athlete. But um, yeah, it, you know, he did a certain dominance and, and he had that much confidence that he knew he could back it up. You know, um, I think when someone becomes a jerk or, or a dick is when they are an asshole to their teammates, but they can't back it up. If, if Michael would have went and shot, you know, three for, for 15 and still talk shit, then, yeah, fuck that guy. But 
you know, he would, he would tell you, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to take it to the hole. And he would, um, yeah. you know, he, he commanded, uh, respect from, from his teammates and, you know, at all costs. And at the end of the day, what do they have to, to show for it? Six championships. So yeah, six and oh in the finals. And that's where I get frustrated with the LeBron Michael debate. Um, is that Michael never lost in the finals and, and it is impressive, you know, LeBron going to eight straight finals, but he, he won three of those. And, you know, he may have had a little better, a less of a supporting cast of characters, but Michael was the first to do it. And he'll probably be the last to see that kind of dominance at the highest level. I mean, the guy won a gold medal with the dream team. He won a national championship with the Tar Heels when he was a freshman and he won six championships. He is an owner of a franchise and he's an entire brand devoted to his likeness and, and, and his greatness. So I, I don't think you'll ever see somebody that affected the game the way that he did because at the time that he came in, yeah, you had Bird and, and Magic who kind of <laughs> resurrected the NBA, but he re- resurrected that franchise. They talk about in the documentary how the Bulls were like a laughing stock in the city of Chicago. I mean, they called like the... The, the like the cocaine circus or whatever it was the cocaine yeah, circus. I bought that. And there was that an shirt. indoor indoor soccer team that 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 had more of a draw than the Bulls did at the time. I mean, soccer. Yeah, soccer's <laughs> great, but I mean, indoor soccer should not be drawing more fans than, than than a professional basketball team, especially in the city that's so basketball is such a center part of the culture like Chicago. Um, right. And I. And you see all these recruits, you know, that come out of the city of Chicago, all these guys, Anthony Davis, Derrick Rose. Um, and I think a large part of why the game grew so much in Chicago is kind of a hotbed for talent now in the NBA has a lot to do with Michael Jordan. And, and, and that's even getting into things that I'm going to talk about in the documentary. He, he took basketball from being something that was beloved on a national level and made it global. And um, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Or maybe he did and he just doesn't anymore because people want to make that LeBron-MJ argument, which I think is so stupid because they're two totally different types of players when you think about their style and the way they help their teams. They're both winners. They're both champions. They're both the greatest to ever do it in their sport, but they're different. So it's hard to make that comparison. No, I I completely agree. So well said. I it's think, hard. It's hard for people not to compare it, though. I mean, when you see someone just dominating, how do you how do you not bring up Jordan's name? You know, how do you not compare the two? Right. I think but it's. I think, I think it's natural. I think it's like comparing a quarterback to a wide receiver, though. I mean, they do so many different things on the field. They're so integral. They're important, but their jobs are different. And maybe that's too. There's too much of a chasm between the two because they're two different types of positions. But Michael was a shooting guard, and he could play small forward. But LeBron can play four positions on the floor if you need him to. So I think to try and draw some sort of comparison, the best comparison to, 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 um, to LeBron is Magic Johnson. The best comparison to, to, to Michael, the modern-day comparison, would have, been, would have been the late, great Kobe Bryant. So yeah, I think basketball, people get, have difficulty separating how much positions in basketball dictate how we determine how good people are. And I think when you, when you factor that in, you actually have to look at it as a whole rather than look at identify, Oh, this guy that played this specific position was the best at the game. That's not, I mean, that's not ever the case. And I think 
basketball purists know that, but these kind of casual basketball fans, the Twitter nerds or whatever, are so insistent on, on, on drilling that home, it gets really redundant. And I'm getting redundant on this point, so... So, but no, I think I think you're I think you hit it perfectly on the comparison, especially with uh, with Jordan and Kobe. Have you guys seen that video? It's on YouTube of Kobe and Jordan taking like the exact same shots. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, it's, they're it's, it's insane. Their mid range game, the style they played from the mid range, whether it's the face the face up or the back down, it's identical. The footwork is almost identical. It's it's, in, it's crazy. Yep. Hmm. So, Sawyer, I'm just I'm curious as a casual bas, you know, it's more of a casual basketball fan. Somebody who's not really into the NBA. NBA fan, big yeah. college fan. Yeah, less of an NBA fan. Were you similarly captivated though by the documentaries last night? Yeah, I think. So I watched the first episode. Um, I would say my biggest takeaway is how it became such a movement um it became beyond a sport you know jordan would go overseas and everyone over he had you could see how big his influence was just over there across the world just for being a basketball player everything everywhere you went there's tons of people crowds of people people didn't even speak english would say michael jordan <laughs> i love michael jordan uh but uh no i think what fascinates me is when uh, sports be- become beyond the court and um, they become part of a culture. And to me, that is fascinating. You know, how does that, how does that image, how do you create an image to which it affects people's daily lives from sport? And I find that really interesting more so than the game. You know, it's easy when you look at it for me, it's easy on a college level to understand how it affects our daily lives because, you know, you take pride in, you know, being a legacy at a university, you take pride in that and, and your sports teams reflect that, you know, they like, for, for instance, I feel like I, I grew up watching Mizzou basketball and I feel like that uh, shaped my mentality in sports because Mizzou in my lifetime has often been an underdog. And so in, in my life in sports, I always felt like an underdog was something to prove, even though that might not necessarily been the case. That was how I felt motivated, motivated. And I think that motivation can take place in other aspects of your life and it's interesting how that bulls being on top you know influence people in chicago and, and how they want to live their lives if that makes sense yeah yeah I, I real quickly before we move on i wanted to go back to the goober jerry kraus i i just loved like the first clip that you see of him walking to his his lincoln or whatever out in the uh out in the parking lot and he's just he doesn't even know which way he's going but um i wasn't really like a big hater on him you know i know tommy talked about it earlier i get what he was trying to do you know he kind of wanted towards the end he wanted to prove that he could be a gm a, a a good gm without michael jordan you know he he could do uh he could build a team um, without Michael Jordan, if you will, you know, I, I think he knew he kind of got it easy with, uh, with Jordan, but for him to, you know, want to build a, a different team, if you will, I, I kind of respected that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. you see that in players all the time too? You know, that's really interesting. Prove they can do it without the other. I mean, Kobe wanted to prove yeah, exactly. it without Shaq. Uh, I think the sad two, there were two things that struck me as sad, um, in the two, episodes one was the relationship that phil jackson had with the front office that kraus told him 
I don't care if you win 82 games next year. Yeah, that's Don't wild. lose, and you will not be the coach next year. That's um, so negligent. Yeah. It's, it's incredible because Phil Jackson was one of those coaches who could get a team of very different people, very different types of players, get them to coalesce around an ideology, a, a goal, a common goal, and which was winning. Uh, he took very strong personalities and molded them and, and made them them the best yeah. possible version. Yeah. He did that in Chicago, and he did that in Los Angeles. And I hope his legacy is not harmed by his lack of success in New York, but he was able to take these big personalities and, and make it work. And I think that was really impressive. And I think the Bulls made a mistake in parting ways with him after 98. Because part of a reason, part of the reason I think Michael retired in '98 for the for the second time, was because Phil Jackson was going to be gone. And if Phil Jackson stays, who knows? Maybe Michael sticks around a little bit longer and they make another run. Scotty was definitely gone, and that's the other thing I thought was sad was the way that the front office and Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry and, and Kraus uh, approached that situation. I mean, he was the 122nd highest paid player in the league in the mid 90s and he was probably the second best player in the league after michael people don't yeah. realize how good scotty was scotty could do everything he could rebound defend score um and he was a catalyst for that team the two seasons where michael was gone playing baseball scotty pippen led them to the playoffs and led them to competitive series and the bulls were still good team a good team when michael jordan left because of scotty and the fact that he was basically playing for peanuts in that last season with the Bulls, I felt sorry for him because I think it changed who Scotty was. Um, you know, they talk about his adversarial nature with Jerry Krause uh, on the buses and in you know team facilities. And from everything I've read and heard about Scotty, is that that wasn't who he was. But at the time, he basically had been forced into this role of like villainy by the front office because of what I see is a lack of respect for what he brought to the organization. He was the sixth highest paid player on the team that year, which yeah. is just incredible when you think about it. He's in the top 50 greatest players of all time. And so the way that that relationship was, they're showing that starting to sour at that point. I found that kind of tragic as well. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. And, um, you know, my, my thought process through the first two episodes is if, you know, they're showing all this, I can't wait to see, you know, eight more and then to, to dive deeper into that, especially yeah. that last season. I think it's just episode 10 is going to be wild for sure. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait. All right. Well, I think we've uh, gone about as deep as we can go on those first two episodes. Um, oh, can I bring up one point, Tommy? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, one yeah, thing go ahead. That also, uh, not to, you know, beat me on the head or whatever, however that saying goes. Um, there's a little clip where they're talking about Phil Jackson leaving and, and MJ says, I, I don't want to play for anyone else. I want to play for Phil. You know, if, if he leaves, I leave. And it, not to bring up comparison, but in my mind, I was thinking, you know, has LeBron ever said this about a coach? And I think it's, I think it said a lot about Michael Jordan to be humble enough in a sense to, to, uh, be willing to play for a certain coach, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, all the stuff with like Blad and, and the Cavs and, and Lou, Tyron Lou, it makes you, it kind of makes you wonder, 
um, or, or or focus on like the the difference in personalities between the two players yeah. at that point in, in MJ's career. Yeah, you don't no, really. That was interesting. You don't really see that level of loyalty anymore in professional sports. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so, Smitty, you want to intro the next segment that we are going to cover today? Yeah, yeah. I wanted us to kind of talk about uh, this past college basketball season, you know, especially with uh, with the last dance. Let's, let's talk a little basketball. Um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to go over, you know, the good, the bad uh, parts of the season, you know, even though it wasn't finished. And I know, uh, I know K-State and Mizzou have uh, a little bit more blemishes than, than KU did th- this year, but um, yeah, no, I wanted to, I'll, I'll go ahead and start it off with, you know, K-State. Um, this was obviously a, a tough year to be a K-State basketball fan. Uh, literally went from first to worst in a matter of one season. Um, kind of just stuck at a, in a rock at a hard spot right now just because there's just really no consistency right now um, with K-State basketball. I, I, you've got two different fan, K-State fans. Um, you've got the ones that have said, hey, Bruce Weber's led us to a, an Elite Eight. He's won two, uh, two, two Big 12 championships. And then on the other hand, you've got uh, the guys that are, you know, we just had the worst, I think it was the worst conference season we've had in the past 30 years, um, which, which says a lot. So it's like, how do we go from, how does K-State go from, the ultimate highs uh, to the ultimate lows, um, you know, and, and that leads into, you know, Cardi transferring. Um, Cardi Ajada, who would be a senior next year, um, is transferring to Virginia Tech. So it makes me think, you know, what is really going on uh, in Bruce Weber's uh, program. So, hmm. um, you know, I, I remember the preseason rankings came out and I think it was the coaches, the AP had K-State, I think eighth or ninth. And I laughed and, and said, not, not, a, not a freaking chance. And uh, here I am uh, eating crow because yeah, we had three conference wins this year uh, and, and dead last. So um, it, it's tough. Um, and then, you know, to add insult to injury, um, Donovan Williams is a four-star recruit. He uh, originally, originally committed to Nebraska, then uh, Hoiberg took over at Nebraska. So he decommitted and gave K-State uh, a verbal commit. Um, and then at the last second, he flipped and, and picks picks Oklahoma State. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It seems like this kid could potentially be a head case. Um, but, you know, it, it makes me uh, it makes me scratch my head of what, what's really going on. Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, K-State fans really just want some consistency. Um, and right now we're really not getting that with Bruce Weber. I'm not, I, I don't know where I fall as a K-State fan. If I like Bruce Weber or if I hate him, um, it's, it, I think it's easy for K-State fans to, to dislike him because we went from, from Frank Martin to, uh, to Bruce Weber. You know, you have Frank Martin, who's this really intense, hard-ass coach. And then you go to Bruce Weber that's got this, you know, squeaky little voice and is, is kind of a little bit of a goober. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think uh, Bruce Weber was, you know, in a tough spot to begin with. So, um, but you know, it's a little tough, but, um, on the reverse side though, um, you know, K-State gets Shane Southwell back, who is, uh, an assistant coach with K-State. He actually, if that name sounds familiar to you, he played under Bruce Weber, um, and decided to sign on as a, a grad assistant. And he was with us for a couple of years. Um, he left, uh, to go be an assistant at Robert Morris for a year. And then now he's back. Was which, he big? 
Yeah, yeah. And I and he's gonna be huge. Does he, like, he, does he have really broad shoulders? Was he just a unit? Yeah, yeah. He was, he was a yeah, he was a good yeah, he was a good ball player. Um, yeah, like you said, a, a big guy for K State. And I think what why he's so versatile to K State's program is kind of like what we were talking about with uh, with the last dance is players need a coach to relate to and, and Shane Southwell is, you know, he's young, he's played for Bruce Weber. He can connect to these players, I think a little bit better than, um, than what Bruce Weber can. And he's going to be a phenomenal head coach someday. He's just, he just needs to get a little bit more time under his belt. But um, you know, he, he went to Robert Morris. He got his chance at being an assistant. There really wasn't a position open up for K-State. And then um, uh, one of K-State's assistants left this season. So he's back. And he's already he's already offered a, a four star shooting guard for the class of 22, um, which brings me to my next point. That's it, it's why it's not all bad for K-State right now, because K-State's 2021 class is ranked 18th in the nation right now. And we've signed players like uh, Nigel Pack, Selton Miguel, Luke Kazupke. Um, these are these are some solid four stars that are that could potentially play right away. Um so I think, you know, the next season, K-State's going to probably struggle just because they're so young. Um, I think Mike McGurl is pretty much going to be our, our only senior, and the rest are going to be, you know, sophomores, a couple juniors here and there. Um, but we have a pretty strong 2020-2021 uh, class coming in. So I, I think K-State's about two to three years from competing, and I, I think they could be really good if, uh, if these players, you know, stay on. Um, the next few years, barring you know transfers, injuries, uh, or, our, or going to the draft. What's their issue? Why, like, what's the issue? Why, why did they lose so many games? Well, we lost. I mean, we lost Dean Wade. We lost Cam Stokes, Barry Brown. Um, you know, I I think we were expecting K State was expecting Cardi and uh, Xavier Sneed to kind of pick up the slack, and unfortunately, at the end of the day, X and and Cardi aren't your guys that you need you know, 20 from them consistently. They're not going to give you that. They're more of a role player. Um, and I think that's where they shine. They, they didn't really handle being the, the guys, you know, being the number one guy on the team. And that's, that's where I get a little, you know, concerned with, with going forward with K-State is who's going to be the leader uh, the next few years because one of these guys has to step up. I think Bruce Weber's kind of MO is he kind of lets the players, you know, become their own leaders. You know, Barry Brown was, was a big leader uh, the season before same with Dean Wade, big vocal leaders, but I, I don't know who's going to be a leader for us next year because Mike McGurl senior, he's not, he's not going to, you know, as soon as that's he's done playing lamest, K-State. That's the lamest division one basketball player name, Mike McGurl. <laughs> dude, his it just hair, does not strike me. His hair, dude, he's swaggy. He, he rocks the short shorts and, and the dreads. I, I love it. But, uh, but yeah, and he's streaky. He he's not he's not a dependable number one guy. You know, he can go off one game and then be cold, cold the next. So, um, but I mean, right now it's just not a not the best situation for K State basketball. But there is you know light at the end of the tunnel with with the recruiting class that we got coming in. And then uh, you know last last thing I loved was K State's uniforms this this last season. They were absolutely fire. I think I I think I sent you Sawyer. I think I sent. A picture of the new uh, uniforms, and, and you were like, ah, "They didn't. Doesn't look like they changed that much, but they did do a lot of uh, retro this year, which I was, which I was pretty happy about." So, I'm, dude, I'm always a big fan of retro, you know, 
retro jerseys. No matter what team, who it is, I love retro. Except for Kansas. Y'all can go suck a dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of Kansas, as a Kansas fan, you know, it it's frustrating when K-State isn't as good as they use, you know, as in years past because that rivalry is really all we have now in the Big 12. Um, you know, the Sunflower Showdown, whatever you want to call it, between K-State and Kansas. That is, always, that is such a that's such a lame-ass rivalry name, the Sunflower Showdown. Like, God, I hate it so much. But border war. when those two teams are good, <laughs> those are some of the best games of the regular season, Big 12 regular season games of the year. When uh, either when it's K-State in Lawrence or when it's Kansas playing K-State in Manhattan. Uh, so I would love nothing more for K-State to be above average and, you know, maybe give us a run for our money, you know, maybe push it to a, you know, six, seven point win a couple times next year. Uh, <laughs> that, what that's, a what I, <laughs> that's what I really hope for out of the, uh, out of the 2020-2021 squad. I don't, I don't think you're going to get that uh, from them next year. But uh, like I said, maybe about two or three years, I think it's going to be these pretty intense games that uh, we've come to appreciate the past few years. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess I'll, I'll take a swing Bru- at it. Hold, hold up real quick. Bruce Weber, he didn't recruit uh, Dean Wade or uh, who was the other guy that went to the NBA who – Mike and I placed a bet a couple years ago that hundred bucks. Oh, Barry Brown, yeah, he recruited him. Barry Brown, he recruited Dwayne Barry Brown. Okay, yeah, yeah, those were his guys, and and that's that's kind of going back real How quickly. How long has he been there? How many seasons has he been at K State? You know, like I think it's like five, oh nine, or ten. He's been there oh, for almost yeah, ten years now. A decade? What? Somewhere around what's there. His, yeah. What's his overall record? Do you know what his win percentage is? Uh, not off the top of my head, to be honest with you. I mean, it's not it's not a bad it's not it's not a bad winning percentage. I mean, he he's had some rough seasons, you know, like Marcus Foster. I don't know if you guys remember when he was at K State. He Marcus Foster and and some others really just kind of turned that program upside down because I think they were caught that you know smoking weed or something like that, and and they and ended up getting kicked off the team. And Marcus Mike, Foster, you don't know half of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh no he's he's had some tough seasons but that's the thing like i was talking with my dad's like he he brings in some really great recruits but where are these recruits um like uh mental aspects how's their attitudes because it seems like he's got he's had some issues with some of his players having kind of some attitude issue if you will i'm, I'm using that very loosely but like you know I remember like Bill Snyder, Bill Snyder would, would recruit guys that wanted to play that wanted to, you know, work hard and stuff and have this chip on the shoulder. I, I don't know uh, what kind of recruits Bruce is getting, uh, you know, personally, personality wise, I guess, you know, because on paper they're, they're solid, but sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Tommy. And uh, Knox. Mike, I'll pick up from the, from the Kansas perspective this season. Um, Smitty, if you're done talking about the, uh, the woeful Wildcats year. Yeah, I think I'm done. Okay. Um, well, I think <laughs> the for, somber, the somberness in his voice. Yeah, I think I'm done. I think for a lot of Kansas fans, this is going to feel like a year where there was no closure. Um, you know, I know it's easy to hate on Kansas, you know, as you guys as Mizzou and, and K-State fans, but 
This was one of the better teams we've had in a while. Um, and they consistently got better as the season went on uh, with the leadership from Doak, obviously, Devin Dotson, uh, Marcus Garrett, uh, Ochai Baji, who kind of was in and out of a lot of games this year, but played really well. Um, you know, a lot of strong talent on that team. Uh, obviously, Dotson and, and Azubuki are gone uh, for next year. Dotson made it pretty clear that he's not coming back for That's his great news, honestly. season. Um, but Marcus Garrett is going to be coming back for his senior year, which is at least a little bit of good news in the midst of uh, of the departures of Azubuki, who's graduating, and and of uh, of Dotson. But it's going to be interesting next year, kind of who steps up to be a leader on that team. Um, I mentioned Abaji kind of falling in and out of games this past year. You know, he was strong in some, weak in others. And uh, after his freshman season, a lot of people kind of were heralding him as maybe a potential, you know, early first round pick if he decided to declare for the draft just because of his body type, three and D type of guy. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see kind of how next year shakes out. But this season, I mean, it looked like at the beginning of the Big 12 regular season that, you know, Baylor was the predominant favorite to win the Big 12 title this year. And that Kansas team just came on strong, won a lot of big games in the Big 12. And I think we're 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 setting up really nicely to go on a deep run in the tournament. Uh, you know, I know this this college basketball season was one where it seemed like anyone like the field was wide open. But as a Kansas fan, you know, we have that hubris of no one scares us. No one scared me that was that could presumably take down Kansas this past year. Uh, I think in terms of what Kansas could do, this was one of the first teams in a long time that wasn't one-dimensional, that didn't focus on one aspect of their team um, to do um, to do what they needed to do to win. Um, Doak was huge towards the end of the year, and Self kind of finally figured out how to use him effectively towards the end of the year. And I think as the season went on, you were going to see him continue to dominate and really move that offense um, in the right direction. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. but, but going into what I was finishing saying, um, the way the that way self adjusted and really we were playing our best basketball at the end of the year. And that's what you want to see. You want to see teams improving at the end of the season. And I think we were poised for a deep tournament run. And I, I would have bet a lot of money that we would have been the odds on favorite to be the national champion. Uh, after the way they performed at the end of the year. Um, but we'll never know. And that's kind of the unfortunate thing about this season is that all these guys, all the work that they put in, you don't realize the grind that basically starts, you know, in the summertime of, you know, putting in those hours in the weight room, in the gym, putting up shots, team trips to, to play people, um, just just all the work that goes into to that season. It's, it's a year-long grind. Um, you know, them doing their independent work outside of the outside of, you know, the mandatory team practices. Um, guys pour their heart and soul into it. And and that that holds true for guys who aren't on teams that that, that make the tournament. They they put their whole heart and soul into that and for it to just kind of end so unceremoniously is really disappointing. Um, but you know, looking towards the future, I think there's still a lot of promise for the program. Obviously Kansas, it's just it's not rebuild, it's reload. Uh, they've got five-star recruit Bryce Thompson coming in out of Oklahoma. Um, 
which who gives me a little pause in watching his film. Uh, he's a big guard. Uh, he looks really good against high school competition. He needs to add some weight to his frame. Um, and his explosiveness is not necessarily like the kind of explosiveness I would want to see out of a five-star recruit. He's long, he's athletic, but he's not explosive. Um, so I'm interested to see. I think it'll be a while before you see him be an impact player for the Jayhawks. Um, but it's still promising. He's a five-star recruit for a reason, um, so you hope that he pans out. But kind of the rest of the class, they've got uh, they got the top JUCO prospect in Tyron Grant Foster. Um, it's always interesting to see how Bill will in incorporate those JUCO transfers into the team. He hasn't had many in the past. Um, so I think the last one I can really remember that had an impact was Mario Little. Um, so that'll be interesting. And then we have some kind of unheralded guys, Jethro Muscadin and Latrell Jossel, who are coming in. Uh, I don't expect to see those guys be impact guys right away. Um, the dark horse guy I'm really looking forward to, I think he's going to be huge for the Jayhawks going forward and into the future, is uh, Christian Brown. Um, he's a kid out of Kansas City. He ended up starting five games towards the end of the year for the Jayhawks this year. He played in 30. Is that that white boy? Yeah. Um, yes, his so brother plays for Mizzou. Yeah. Um, he's actually my former roommate's cousin. I've met him before. Um, I have a feeling that he He's a good will, kid. Yeah. I have a feeling that he will be one of the most hated players in the Big 12 as his career progresses um, because he plays with a lot of swagger. He's not afraid What's to attack those him. Uh, dude, people love Lightfoot. What are you talking about? Not, I hate, no, not, I hate. Not a Kansas fan. <laughs> hates hate him uh, so much. I hate Miss Lightfoot. God's gift to Earth, and he's averaging 1.2 points per game. Yeah, I mean, it's way more. Back <laughs> next year. He'll be back on the floor next year too for y'all to hate. But uh, I think Christian Brown is is going to be a big time guy. When I when I talk about there there being a lack of a guy to step up next year, um, to kind of fill those shoes of Dotson and uh, Azubuki, I think. I think Brown's going to be – I think he's going to take a big leap next year uh, and be pretty instrumental in, in the future of that program. So I'm excited to see it. Uh, and, I'm, you know, again, it just fucking sucks the way this year ended, but really excited for what next year brings. And you heard it here first. I think Christian Brown is going to be first-team All-Big 12, maybe make a run at, at, at conference player of the year next year. You hey so his brother plays for Mizzou and I always pronounce his last name Braun. I thought it was Braun. Every broadcaster, everybody here talks says says Brown. Even though, <laughs> even though it's spelled like Braun. Yeah, my that's funny. I thought my dad uh he still pronounces Conzo Martin's name Quanzo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's still he's like it's, you know, I don't know about these Quanzo Martin teams. <laughs> Dude, my my dad does that with people's names, so like he just uh, like butchers them and doesn't even try to correct himself. I'm just like, oh my god. Uh, Tommy, do you think is there a part of you that thinks Bill Self is okay? This is such a generalized statement. Is there a part of you that thinks he's a douche at all? Like in the not just to generalize it, but like the way he carries himself, he gets after refs. Uh, he's pretty condescending in his interviews. Is there a part of you that thinks this? Uh, no. Sees it. I don't think. I don't think he particularly gets after the refs more than any other coach does. 
Uh, I think he's particularly hard on his players in the game. Um, yeah, he definitely is. Uh, and I don't think that he is condescending or rude in his post game. I think he's a pretty affable, cordial guy for the most part. I, I I would be interested for you to send me like video of him like being like. I think he's. Or... I think he's really smart, and I think he knows. He knows. Yeah. How to say things to the media, but I also think he's. Well, let's not get let's not get it twisted. He's no Greg Popovich or Bill Belichick. He's not up there like not like purposefully not answering questions. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. You, you, the thing about being a college basketball coach, and whether it's whether it's Bill Self, whether it's Mike Krzyzewski, whether it's Tom Izzo, John Calipari, those big guys, the big names, you got to be able to schmooze and put spin on stuff. And you got to be a little bit of a grease ball, and maybe that makes him a douche. But uh, I think he's, I think he's pretty. Uh, I'm not he's saying like, he's a douche. I'm just saying some of his his tendencies come off that way, in my opinion. As, but I mean, I'm biased as a Mizzou fan, obviously. I think you got to be a certain way to be that successful. I mean, Cal Parry's not necessarily the most likable guy for people outside of that fan base, but people within that fan base, they love him. And yeah, I think I think see, yeah, yeah. the side of coaches and you understand that part of the job is having that kind of personality. I kind of let it slide. Yeah. I mean, I th- think you can make the argument at the, at that level. I mean, you know, top percentage, you know, 10% of division one coaches, you've got to have this mentality of you're going to do what it takes to win uh, as much so as like a player and whether that's, on the court or off the court, you know, finding out what you can what you can get away with and what you can't. I think that's a that's a big part of that industry. Yeah. And it it's it speaks to those people. I mean, who knows? You know, who knows what's really going on? We don't. We can only speculate. How much how much time do you think uh, Bill Self has at KU? You know, it's it's so up in the air. That's a good question. It's totally dependent on what happens with the probe and or what happened with the probe and what happens with the appeal to the NCAA investigation and those charges. You know, I think Bill's, Bill's the kind of guy that would see it through. And, you know, I have some people that I know that are within the athletic department or know people within the athletic department that their general sense is that if there were going to be any sort of postseason ban, sanctions that come down, that self would stay with the program through the duration of the sanctions and then would leave once the sanctions are over. Um, he has a close relationship with R.C. Buford in San Antonio. Greg Popovich is getting old. I think that um, Self has always quietly had interest in going to the NBA. Um, he was They tapped him for a little while for that Thunder job before Billy Donovan took it. Uh, I think the most likely scenario is that he's in Kansas for three or four more seasons, and then he leaves for, for a professional job. But that's, that's just the way I see it. Um, then it's interesting who would take over, uh, but that's where I see see the Bill Self era at Kansas kind of playing playing out the rest of the way. Yeah, I was I was curious because I mean his time is is got to be coming up, you know. I mean, yeah. And I just wanted to see how you felt. Yeah. And uh, I mean, do you guys think you'll be all right without him? I mean. You go yeah. from Roy Williams to uh, it's KU, so it's a blue blood. So you know they can get anybody. Is there any specific person? Let's say Bill Self left today. Who would you want to be the next head coach at KU? Well, 
that's tough because I would want somebody who's young, but at the same time, I would want somebody with familiarity to the program. If I wanted a coach to take over this present team as it's currently constructed and go forward, I'd probably take Mark Turgeon at Maryland. He played at Kansas. He coached at Kansas. He's familiar with the program. That would probably be my number one choice right now. Long term, there's a lot of names out there. I'd, I'd actually have to do some digging and look at some guys at those smaller mid-major schools um, and see who, who I think would be a good fit. Who I think I think, I think a Butler's coach would be good at KU, honestly. I don't, I'm not too familiar with that coach. Um, but Sawyer, uh, let's, let's kick it over to you to talk about uh, Mizzou's, uh, Mizzou's season. Did they have one? The Mizzou, <laughs> the Mizzou 2020 State of the Address. Hey, it was better than K-State's, but given the years prior, goodness gracious, not saying much. Uh, Mike, I just want to, on behalf of Mizzou fans, welcome you to the state of limbo that is losing awfully bad losing seasons in college basketball. I worded that really poorly, but it is. Um, it's <laughs> well, tough, we've man. Only had one, it's, we've only had one so far, so don't get too ahead of yourself. I mean, it was glamorous. Nah. Dude, it's it's one of those things like where to start. Um, I'd say the most difficult part about Mizzou basketball right now is I enjoy Konzo for what he stands for and what he believes in. Um, but there's so many flaws with the basketball team on the court that it's hard to overlook the flaws. So in my mind, it's, it's this uh, dichotomy of like, you know, we want a leader who, you know, the most important thing. I think you could argue is you want a leader that's going to um, cultivate the growth of young men, uh, adolescents who are becoming men. And that's how that happens on the court and off the court. And you want somebody who's going to lead them in, in the right direction. And Conzo does that, in my opinion, from what everything I've read or every interview I've listened to, everything I've seen, I like that. But the product isn't there on the court. And so we all know at some point, you know, that, that tipping point is going to occur, which sucks because I like him as, as a person. I really do. Um, but the results aren't there. Are, okay, you know how we often hear that there's two types of coaches, which is really um, foils it down, the complexity of coaching. But, you know, there's the X's nose, and then there's the motivator. Well, Konzo obviously is – I don't know how much Mizzou basketball you've watched, but Konzo's a motivator. Um and so a lot like Bruce Weber, he harps on defense, which, you know, if you have a good defense can make up for um, an inability to score the ball efficiently, which Mizzou has had for like eight years. <laughs> um, but and so it's. There's just so many things to talk about, um, for example, I think maybe it's because during my years of uh, like most easily being influenced, Mike Anderson was the head coach, and, and we would run and gun. It was a 40 fast minutes of basketball. And, and in my life and my understanding of basketball, that was what was most effective for Mizzou. So I'd love to see Konzo with our with our athletes push the ball, you know, push up the court. But instead what we do is we play the slow-paced half-court offense where we try and be like Virginia, except we don't space well. We don't – we we have one person, Xavier Pinson, on the ball – who can beat a defender and, and create. Um, so it's just, it's really frustrating to watch. Um, we have tons of needless turnovers. 
we often like we'll run four on the perimeter and a big down low and then the big will come up to like right below the three-point arc and like try and set a screen but oftentimes it's ineffective and then we're just we're not using space well and that's a big part and we're like football soccer and basketball you know and my belief is that a huge theory in those sports is how you utilize space and how you create it right you want to you want to get the defense um confused and in in situations where they're uncomfortable and you do that by by creating space and taking space that's not there and making space like when you know when a big comes you see in kansas all the time when deception when a, their four will come up or maybe their five will come up and set a screen back door or a very obvious screen and then you have someone running around into the space that's just created in the lane and they throw a, a lob dunk alley-oop always off an inbounds play um but Conzo's like not an X and O's guy, and it's really frustrating to watch as a fan. We're probably we probably score on thirty percent of inbounds plays, and that might be generous. And you know, three out of ten possessions in a game, if you're getting a bucket, it's not very good. Um, it's not going to win you many games. Um, it's just not very fun to watch. Uh, it's. Do you it's, see change with the head coaching position happening sooner than later? Do you think his leash it's is so tough because it's, season? you know, we've been through, you know, Frank Haith, who actually, if you look back at it, like he's had, he had a really nice record at Mizzou. Um, yeah, but he's actually, got, actually, yeah, actually, I don't like Frank Haith, but I'm just saying, uh, we've been through Frank Haith, Kim Anderson, Conzo, and it's, you know, do, am I ready to repeat this process of creating this false hope in a new coach and then. You know, well, let's wait till he gets his players. But it's you know the the rebuilding, the term I hate. Like, let's rebuild for another three years. Um, but like you know, what can you do? It's listen with with. I give him a little bit of credit because he he brought in a good recruiting class. Um, his first year, and with his best player out, we made the tournament. I mean, I'll be his eleven eleven seed. I believe it was the. We were the 11 seed, and we played the number seven Florida State. But, you know, we made the tournament, something we hadn't done five or six years. And then – but it's been like a slow decline. The year after, we lost John Tay Porter, which is also – that's two years in a row. You lose your best player. It's tough to tough to rebound. Um, and this might – this is a hot take. When I watched John Tay play, and maybe I saw a lot more of him playing than Michael, I thought he was – he – would have a really good NBA career. I thought he'd be better than Michael Porter. Um, but, I mean, the most I saw Michael Porter, basically high school highlights, and John Tay's towards ACL twice, which is really unfortunate for him. Um, but what what what'd you ask me? <laughs> I, I was asking you how much time you think he had. And, and I think there's, there's something to be said about, you know, bad luck playing a factor into the lack of success that Conzo has had. But at the same time, you know, if you're relying on the strength of two brothers to... All right, I'm back. I hear you. I lost connection for a second. If you're um, relying on the strength of a fa- two brothers to lift up your basketball program, you know, it has to be a holistic approach. And well, I'm it wasn't not... just them two. I mean, they were, they were coupled in a really nice recruiting class with, you know, Jeremiah Tillman, um, Blake Harris had promise. Those two. We already had, you know, Kevin Purrier. We brought in Cassius Robertson the year after. He was really solid. Um, or maybe it was that same season. Yeah. So would I would you, think would with, you... with all that talent that I would I would have to presume the leash is pretty short on, on, on Martin's tenure there. Yeah. You know, it's so 
it's like we just like throw a dart at the schedule and we're like, we're going to win that game. And that's the one we choose to play well. Like this last season, you know, I think first game of the season, we lost to Xavier in OT when they were ranked like 15th away. And then we beat Illinois, who's had a really good 2019-2020. And then we whoop Florida by like 15, 16 points. We whoop Auburn. But after we beat Florida, we came back and lost to Mississippi State by 24. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, how do you beat a ranked team? How do you dominate them on the road and then come home and lose by 24? Yeah. Just like, it's so sporadic and frustrating. Ugh. Would you would you take Quinn Snyder back right now if he came back? Uh, probably not. I'm I'm not convinced Quinn Snyder's a very good coach. I've watched too many uh, like speeches from Quinn Snyder. Coach Snyder. To be con- he I love Quinn Snyder as an image. <laughs> uh, but I don't think he's a very good coach to be honest. Uh. I'm gonna have to respectfully agree to disagree with you there. I, th- I think Quinn Snyder is a pretty pretty good coach, as evidenced by him uh, being pretty successful, being successful with some pretty mediocre jazz teams. And also, I mean, the last time I really remember, I mean, obviously before Frank Haith and Tim Anderson, Quinn Snyder was had some very good years at Mizzou, um, kind of in the shadow of the Norm Stewart era. Uh, I know he had his, you know dabbled in a little bit of the nose candy and had some, some controversial stories. But uh, I think Quinn Snyder is a good coach. Uh, and there's actually a really interesting article in The Athletic that I'll have to share with you guys about. Um, he was kind of one of the first to sound the alarm on the uh, coronavirus um, issue in the NBA. Uh, and it's interesting because his team kind of was patient zero for how that all went down. But uh, – not to go too long on that, but I, I think I do think Quinn Snyder is actually a really good coach. Uh, I think he just was in unfortunate circumstances. I don't think being a college coach is the right environment for a guy like Quinn. I think he needs the structure of a professional league. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, too many freedoms as a college coach. Yeah. Too, many, too much at the tip of your fingers. Right. Stay focused. Yeah. <laughs> I've worked, have you guys seen the uh, Quinn Snyder? He goes, Brian, it's Quinn Snyder. Yeah. I like The prank call. I, I like it. Jump a, there was a Quinn Snyder halftime speech uh, video floating around, and it was like, uh, I think it was like Keon Grimes walks into to the locker room, or maybe it's AJ Johnson, Arthur Johnson, and Quinn Snyder, like he sits everyone down and he just looks right at him. He goes, Man, you, that was a great rebound at the end of the half. He's like, You rebounded the ball so well. And he was like, can we – and he just so nonchalant. He's like, can we do more of that? And I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, for the sake of time, uh, let's move uh, – don't want to cut you short on the Mizzou talk, but it sounds like so, sounds like uh, there's hopefully better days to come for, for Mizzou basketball. But uh, let's get into the, uh, to the conclusion of the show. Smitty, you got us uh, a couple things to close out with? Oh, can I can I say something real quick? I'm so sorry for interrupting. I meant to say this at the end. Uh, I think it was Jordan's sophomore year. Uh, Mizzou, beat, Mizzou beat Jordan. And then I was reading this on Twitter last night. And I don't know if you know the name John Sonville, but he's kind of like one of our one of the Mizzou all-time greats. He said in the NBA, and this speaks to how Jordan was as a person, which kind of I've kind of grown to really appreciate Jordan the last 24 hours. But he said every time – Sonville said every time he saw – Jordan in the NBA, whenever they'd go up against each other, Jordan would say, you know, ask him, how is, uh, how's Norm Stewart doing? How are those Tigers doing? 
which I thought and this guy subtweeting was like, was he was he being sarcastic? And and Sumble said no, he was being genuine. He's a class act. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty awesome. That's good to hear. All right, Smitty, you're up. Yeah. So uh it went over well last time, but the uh pick three KC. Uh last time we did barbecue and today we wanted to do pizza joints. And there's a lot of a lot of good pizza joints in KC. Like me being up in Minneapolis, I've realized like they don't have shit for pizza joints up there. Um, <laughs> so we've been spoiled down here. So I'm gonna start it off. My top three pizza joints: the Bronx, Salad, Artigo, and Minsky's. Which like that's kind of like a broad range. Minsky's is obviously like the big hitter. That's like, that's kind of like the Joe's KC of, of barbecue, like uh, to pizza. Minsky's, I think we've all grown up. We love Minsky's. Um, the Bronx, like it, it's a little different for me because I'm kind of like a thicker crust guy. I like mm-hmm. like deep dish, but I, thick I boy. just love. Yeah, thick. I'm getting thick. But yeah, the Bronx, I just like it. That's like a premium new york slice right there in kc and then artigo like i don't know if uh if you guys have had it it's off 39th street right by uh q39 yeah, it, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. um what's his name uh is uh, joe perez he used to be uh, a receiver for for the chiefs but is he the walked... guy through the new year's parties yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah i got in like trouble yeah um but no you walk into artigo and like there's badass paintings everywhere um, like Jimi Hendrix, uh, like a lot of musical artists. Um, like that the, has nothing to do with pizza. I'm just talking about the experience, dude. <laughs> the, but uh, but uh, yeah, the ambiance. Like the place is cool, but the pizza is like even better. My favorite ambiance is drunk girl by me asking me for the sausage off the top of my sausage pizza from Joe's and Kelly's. I'm sorry. I totally just <laughs> really took you. I'm sorry, Mike. I'll let you talk. Oh, Edit no, that out. I'm, I'm sorry. done. You, you're uh... Your MO on this show is uh, quickly becoming. Can I say something? And then go jokes, ahead and saying it. And then, and, and then jokes where like the structure of it just completely gets jumbled while you're saying it. Uh, can we edit that out? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no we're save that clip and email it to our friends. Yeah. Uh, go, was, go ahead, Mike. The Bronx. You were talking about the paintings. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, dude, don't do this. Don't do this. Mom. I already said it. I no, was, you didn't. You were balls deep. Yeah, I respect those choices, although I've never had Artigo. Um, I've gone there for a drink like while waiting for Q39, but I've never had it. Um, I would have yeah. to say my top three. Um, y'all know I grew up in Waldo. Uh, so just from nostalgia and the ambiance and i know some people hate on it but waldo pizza has a special place in my heart um there's nothing like going there on like a friday night with your friends when you're in middle school a hot pie coming right that's awesome oven just it it playing arcade games pac-man galaga like the pizza still like every time i have a slice now it just brings me right back there and then they also have a fantastic st louis style pizza that Honestly, I would put up against any St. Louis style pizza, even Emos, uh, in St. Louis. It is absolutely delicious. Um, so that's like my nostalgia pick. 
then I'd have to go, obviously, I think Minsky's is outstanding. I love Minsky's. I love that they do their meat toppings underneath the cheese. Uh, I think that their sauce is the best sauce of the pizzas in the city. Uh, it's really good. If you like tomato, it's very, it's got that like very rich, sweet tomato taste, but with like very well like spiced. Um, so they're obviously up there. But then my favorite place to grab a slice, uh, I discovered this when I moved back to Kansas City uh, in 2014 and lived off of 47th Wyoming on, in West Plaza. Johnny Joe's Pizza off of 47th Street is probably my favorite place to grab a slice because you literally can go and grab a slice. It's New York style pizza. They have it ready in that display case. They take the slice off, put it in the oven, reheat it, or you can buy a full pie. Uh, the first night I moved into my house that I lived in over there, my friends and I went out. You can BYOB, you can bring a six pack over there, sit on the porch, have a beer, have a slice of pizza. And uh, I can house like four slices of their pizza if I wanted to. It's super good. Big fat slices, reasonably priced. Johnny Joe's Pizzeria, I think, is the best pizza in town. I might try that out. I, you know, yeah. it's funny that you say that because I used to live off of like right off the plaza, like on 45th in Mercier. And I went to Johnny Joe's, I think, like a couple times. And did this did what you did like we would grab a slice and just sit out on the patio and um you know that was several that was shoot six years ago i think now and i don't remember it like being anything amazing but I, and i'm not saying it isn't i need to i need to go back there and, and give it another give it another try for I'll sure but i like while you're in yeah. town we'll all go yeah let's, yeah, do, let's it. do it let's do it hell yeah all right, so I, to close out, what are what are your top? Guys, I'm I'm sorry. I'm when I get an idea like bottles up inside me, and I like have to blare it out. So I apologize for speaking over you guys if I ever do that or cutting you <laughs> off. It's a character flaw I've been working on for 27 years. All right. Hey. Uh, all right. I'm gonna throw Minsky's in there um, for the said reasons. Um, I'll throw Leo's in there. Just being a Northlander, I really enjoy the Provel cheese. The fat boy in me likes it. Although, uh, whatever, we might be going to dig into it. Uh, and then, <laughs> number one, man, that little Joe spot right next to Kelly's. Throw, oh, some, yeah. throw some honey on those bad boys. Dude. And you know, I think it's because I'm drunk every time. And, you know, I, I never knew, like, how good honey was on pizza until Joe's. It's a move, yeah. man. Yeah, like people really frown upon it if, if they've never tried it. But I guess it, it, to me, it depends on what you get. If you get cheese pizza, I wouldn't throw fucking honey on that. But like if you get something like pepperoni, like a salty, you know, like greasy pepperoni or sausage, something that's got a little bit of like a salt kick to it mixed with that sweetness of the honey. And plus, yeah, me, I, right. throw, I throw crushed red pepper on my pizza. Like it's prime. Like yeah. that is... I've never been more sloppy than leaving Joe's, like with two slices of pizza in my hand. And a little someone right, you know, right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> got, you got a pie like this, you know, slice of pizza with a plastic paper plate underneath. Two girls, pizza, honey dripping everywhere. I mean, I I couldn't paint a a better picture, you know. Like name a name a more iconic scene than just like. Six Ryan Miller girls sitting out, Honestly, out, out, out in front of Joe's just trying my, to yep. eating pizza. My iconic scene is sitting at one of the bars by myself eating the slice while I'm watching 10 girls in line to talk to Ryan at the bar. <laughs> I mean, God damn. 
but not anymore. We should probably not go out with Ryan anymore. He's Listen. a lot better looking than all of us. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Man, hey, Gloria, if he's like Vince and Jason, we're, together. we're a bunch of turtles. What'd you say, Tommy? Gloria, when you, when we've been out together. We, we, we wingman each other pretty pretty well. Yeah. We, just, it's, we get each other to the point where we where it's on the other one to execute, and then I get stage right, man. You know, I do too. Uh, but I, I just, I don't know. It is We'll work on it together. May 3rd, I second, we'll I second that notion, Tommy. Like what, I mean, when we were out in Kelly's after winning the Super Bowl, I had a girl take a shot, but not swallow the shot, grab me, make out with me while spitting the shot into my mouth. And, <laughs> and I was drinking the shit out of that. And I, Probably got coronavirus at that time, but <laughs> Mike is a wild man whispering yeah. sweet nothings in the baby girl's ear. Baby girl, and the guy just says some incredible things. I want that version of Mike. I'm one of these bad boys. Yeah, we should we should do a drunk podcast. We gotta get really drunk one night and do it. I mean, man, we. <laughs> I mean, we're really going to put Tommy's editing skills to the test because we're going to be saying a lot of stuff that we should not say publicly. Yeah, I'm sober now, but I'll still participate. There you go. All right, boys. Another great episode. Um, even with technical difficulties, let's pray it all uh, it all comes out in one finished product. Uh, I will talk to you boys next week. Stay healthy, stay safe. Smitty, so glad to have you back in KC. Still get a slice of pizza. Plus pizza at Johnny Joe's and all you listeners out there in KC and around the country and around the world. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, uh, hang in there, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Except for you, Paul. As the music dies, something in your eyes calls to mind the silver screen and dark.